uh, I remember watching one of these these concerts. I'm not going to mention who it was because it was a country music uh, concert, and that could anyway um, as part of my recovery. Um, but also, it was one of those knee-high, kick-it-up, get-your-cowboy-hat-on kind of concerts going. You know what I'm talking about? And these guys out on the hill, it just took one guy. All of a sudden, he kind of had this open space, and he just started doing this, I don't know if it was his own kind of line dance, you know, thing going on by himself. All of a sudden, the whole hill, one by one, on this little slant, big slanted hill, just started this funky line dance out there. The cowboys and all. You see it? The plaid? Yeah. It's for today. And they were all out there. And suddenly, you see this whole, if you stood back and stood on the cement, looking up at the hill, you had this whole line dancing thing of people. And as a good Dutch guy, I stayed out of it. Because it would have been like a collision of death. Where I started moving and they're going this way and I'm going the opposite way. I would knock out people. It would have been really hurtful. But there was something contagious about one guy starting. He felt, you know, this, this move. He felt all of a sudden the, the dance just started happening. And all of a sudden, it was like a virus that went through the entire outer area. And, uh, this, this week it, I was reminded of it because I watched uh, one of those little YouTube videos, and the same thing. There was this guy just, he had no clue how to dance. He was white boy of all white boys. And he had not a, an ounce of rhythm in him. I'm sure he's probably one of my relatives. And he was just dancing it up by himself out on this hill. And then all of a sudden this took this other idiot to come along and join him. And he was rolling around on the ground, and, and all of a sudden you heard there was a noise in the crowd, and all of a sudden, whoever was videotaping, it was like a rush past him. And everybody started dancing, it was hooting and hollering. And there was just this real excitement about joining this parade of movement and dancing and singing, and people just looking absolutely foolish. But there was kind of a group mind Everybody was caught up into this moment. As uh, somebody who's married to the executive director of Camp Manitoba, there's even times that I've seen it in the camping ministry where it took, takes one kid to start jumping up and down to a song that, you know, they've sung a gajillion times, and then all of a sudden their, their counselor starts jumping up and down. And then all of a sudden the cabin starts, and then also. They have no idea what they're doing. They're just jumping up and down, right? And sometimes it's even true, dare I say, in the church. We get so excited about some one thing. Uh, oh, I'm watching this happen in Sarah's life, and I'm going I'm to act with Sarah and jump with Sarah. But really no clue what's going on or, or why this is exciting. But it, something has happened in her life. Or I see it happen in, in Dina's life, and it's like, oh, man, I want... And, and we start moving. Sometimes even in worship services, there's just something electric, and I can't quite describe what it is. And so we just join in and say, oh, one of these Jesus kumbaya moments, you know what I'm talking about? It's where it brings back that warm uh, campfire spirit where you're just singing, and you just want only take the spark to get a fire going kind of moment. And it's just like and it's tears start going, but you're not sure why. 
And I think a lot of times in the church, we, we get caught up into those, just those moments and really not sure what this moment is all about. But the crowd is moving in that direction. In one of the commentaries I read this week, in preparation for uh, Mark chapter 11, uh, 1 through 11, he, he said this, Group, spirit, and movement can hold us in the initial period of brief, period of brief, and belief, and can sustain us during difficult times. But it is no substitute for individual understanding and commitment. He's saying, listen, there's something powerful and exciting about a, a group activity, about them all joining together in it. But it is absolutely no substitute for a personal, deeply held belief in Jesus Christ and His mission. So sometimes as a pastor, I'm always scared. Are, are we going to be the story of um, Palm Sunday, where everybody just seems to kind of join in. It's like, woo, get out the palms, throw down the clothes. It's all about Jesus. We're singing about Jesus. But in reality, we have no clue who this Jesus is. Who is this, this man riding on a donkey that has never been ridden before? Do we know who he really is, or are we just caught up into this hype, this thing called church? And so this morning, I want you to join with me in finding our place even in this story. Find a Bible, open up to Mark chapter uh, 11. If you need a Bible, we've got some along the the edges. Follow along, because this is not just a a historic story that took place some 2,000 years ago. This is a story that we find ourselves involved in. It's a story that is alive and still speaks to us today. So follow along with me, starting at verse 1 of chapter 11. Page 847. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And we'll send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told him what Jesus said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming of, our, of the kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest! And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. This is uh, that great story of 
where the kids usually in church get really involved. You know, Sunday school teachers give them the palm branches. It's Palm Sunday. We get all excited. The kids are swinging their branches. This is, this is a story that has been building up for, for Jesus' three years of ministry. Building up because this is the point where Jesus decidedly to go public to the Roman government as well as to the, the, the leadership, the religious leadership in Jerusalem. And he did it in, in a very big, bold, audacious kind of way that sent everybody back on their heels. And Jesus had been zigzagging through the country, just a little bit here in, in Galilee, then Samaria, then Perea, then finally in Judea. And finally, after 35 different locations that we find, he finally ends up perfectly at the time of the Passover coming to Jerusalem. Jesus had timed this absolutely perfectly. He was, when he was back in Bethany, on the very outskirts of, of Jerusalem, expectations were just really running high. You see, because earlier, word had gotten out that Jesus had healed this guy named Bartimaeus. He, he had said, your faith has made you whole. And immediately, Bartimaeus' eyes were open up, and people were going, man, this guy has been, been blind for a long time. I can't believe it. He's seen things. And Bartimaeus followed after Jesus. It says that right there at, at the end of um, chapter 10. And immediately, he recovered his sight and followed him on the way. So you know, Bartimaeus had something to say about Jesus. Everybody came in contact with, you know what, this guy? I can see now because of Jesus. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus. He did this. I, I can see now. Can you believe it? Well, what added to the hype was not just Bartimaeus, but in John chapter 11, we've got the story of Jesus coming and raising Lazarus from the dead. Jesus raised a man from the dead. And this was all on his journey to Jerusalem. Kind of this, this foreshadowing of things to come. Listen. Lazarus, come out of the grave. I'm calling you out. And all of a sudden, out of the grave comes the dead man whose body more than likely should be rotting. He's coming out of the grave. And everybody is going, who is this man who can heal the blind and raise the dead. Who is this? Maybe this is the promised Messiah who who's going to restore the kingdom of David. Maybe this is the guy. And there's just a tremendous amount of anticipation, of excitement that maybe this is him. Maybe as he's traveling to Jerusalem on for Passover, he is going to restore the line, the kingdom of David. Maybe this is the one. Because 150 years earlier, there was a huge revolt thinking that maybe this is, this is the Messiah. But it was, it was squashed very quickly. So that was semi-fresh in their mind. Maybe, maybe this is the one. Maybe this is, is the Jesus. So there was a tremendous amount of, of tension that was going on in Israel. 
And with the Passover only a few days away, the question is, will Jesus make his move? And everybody was around to watch. At first the crowd is kind of watching the single dance. Slowly, it builds momentum. Slowly. So Jesus goes from Bethany to Bethpage, which, which is just this small little town right before coming to Jerusalem. A traveler uh, from Jerusalem, if he was coming from the east, coming from Jericho, would come to Bethany, which is about two miles from Jerusalem, on the, which is on the slopes of, of Mount Olives, which we'll hear about later. And as he rounds the south side of the Mount of Olives, he would pass by Bethpage before entering Jerusalem. And Jesus said to his disciples, listen, as we're coming, I want you to go on ahead of me. I want you to get me a colt, a donkey that has never been ridden. Never been ridden. Now, if these these boys were smart, these young disciples were smart and thinking back to their training in, in the law and the prophets, they would have seen that Jesus was saying something extremely significant. It wasn't just, hey, I, why don't you go get me a car? I need a ride into town. I'm getting a little tired. The choice of an unridden donkey was, was critical. It was Jesus saying, listen, I am. I am the one that you have been anticipating. I'm, I'm the one that you've been waiting for. And Jesus saying, listen, the Father and I have been orchestrating this thing for ages, for eons. And now it's time to put everything into, into action. Let's get the ball rolling because I'm going to fulfill every prophecy that has been made about the Messiah. I'm going to fulfill every one of them. As you look through the law and the prophets and you look to the major prophets and the minor prophets, they're all speaking about me. And watch, even in this action of choosing a donkey, you are going to see that I am the Messiah. So Jesus, he chose a young donkey. Why? Because 500 years ago, the prophet Zechariah made a prophecy concerning the Messiah. And this is what it said. He said this, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foul foal of a donkey. He's saying, listen, your king is coming. And this is how he's going to come. He's going to come riding on a donkey. Now, when I think about this, I go, man, that is not... Jesus, you could have done a little bit better on your choice of... It's not exactly the Cadillac. When I think of donkeys, it's, it's more like my college car the piece of garbage that I drove around. You know the kind that I'm talking about? Jesus, at least upgrade. You know? Go one more step up. Don't drive the junkie. 
But instead, he chose the donkey for a very specific reason. Because all of this, Jesus consciously was fulfilling the prophecy because according to biblical culture, an animal like the donkey was what the king, King David, rode in on a donkey. It was, it was a sacred beast. And what made it extra special is that nobody had used it. It was set aside specifically for his use. And so Jesus was coming in on a donkey. And this was a, a kingly act that lined him up with, with the, the whole royal line of King David. He's fulfilling all these, these prophecies. And he knew what he was doing. Zechariah's prophecy described Jesus as gentle or humble and riding on a donkey. Jesus came peacefully, bringing peace, bringing the shalom that Israel had been waiting for. He even brings this peace to us. Those of us who are just internally and externally just struggling and desiring peace. It's a humble a gentle king who comes into our lives saying, peace, peace I bring to you. Peace. In in your crazy, wild world of, of pain and busyness, I'm offering you my peace. And even some 750 years before, Isaiah prophesied that the Messiah would be the prince of peace. And when he was born, what did the angels say? They, peace on earth. Peace on earth to men whom his favor rests. Peace. I'm bringing peace. So Jesus is entering into Jerusalem on an animal of peace. And Jesus is going to be a king like any, unlike any other king that had ever come. If you know anything about how the Romans came in after conquering a nation, you've got... The Caesar, riding on a golden chariot with these huge steeds, powerful steeds, just clomping through the city. And behind him, what does he have? He has all the people he has conquered. The kings, the princes, the people behind him. And then he has his soldiers behind, just marching. But this Jesus that is coming in, comes in gently, humbly, saying, listen, I'm bringing peace to you. Behold, your king is coming, righteous and having salvation. Salvation. Humble and mounted on a donkey. The question that I've had to struggle with this week is, Have I received, fully received, this King into my life? Have I I allowed Him to, to give me His love, His joy, His peace, His gentleness, His self control? Have I allowed this King who is coming in gently and saying, Peace I give to you? Have I received this King? And it's a question that we've constantly got to be struggling with. Because I think some of us, 
many of us, myself included, think back to possibly that day that where we recognize Jesus' work in our life, and it's like, oh, the gospel changed me. Jesus changed me. I recognized His work. One and done. But the gospel is a thing that continues to change you every day. In the junk of your life, do we allow Jesus to enter into our life again and say, Hey, I want to offer you peace where there is tension. I want to offer you hope where you're hopeless. I want to be the Savior instead of you being the Savior. And that will give you peace. So Jesus, having obtained the donkey, he begins his march in verse 8. He starts walking into the city with all these people from Jerusalem, into Jerusalem. It says that in verse 8 that uh, many many spread their cloaks on the ground and others spread their leafy branches that were cut, they had cut from the fields. And so they were just putting everything on the ground. It's like, man, we need to create a pathway for this king. All eyes were focused on Jesus. And they were just pouring all their homage towards this, this man. And suddenly they were breaking into songs. And there was just this, this enthusiasm, this, this joy, this, the electricity of the crowd was getting ramped up. As Jesus rode toward the ridge where the road went down to the Mount of Olives, fresh pilgrims started gathering onto this journey. And the procession became larger and larger and larger. Finally, they rounded the corner and they caught a glimpse of the city with its, its huge terraces. The, the city seemed to just glow. Because this was Jerusalem, the city of David, where the temple was. And all of a sudden, you can just imagine, this was a religious pilgrimage. And all of a sudden, they see Jerusalem, and their hearts just jump for joy. And they break out into these loud, loud Eastern praises. Unlike Western praises. We're kind of reserved people. Have you ever realized that? I can tell right now. There's this, yeah, I know. I get it. Next to next point. But when Eastern people get it, there is just something. It, it is. It takes over their whole body. You see, David, when the when the Ark of the Covenant came into town, what did he do? He got down to his underwear and he was dancing in the street he was totally uninhibited it's like the god is entering in look there's the ark and i'm going to go before and i'm going to sacrifice a bunch of animals every time we take a step another sacrifice can be made there was just this excitement and that is what is going on they see jerusalem king david's city and there was just this excitement we are going to worship god <laughs> And I think we've got the Messiah. What's going to happen? This excitement, we're entering into the city. And it said in verse 9, look at this. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting. It was not just 
Blessed is he who comes in the name of... You know, some of those Christian music songs? Barf. You know, it's those Eastern people are are just excited at the top of their lungs. They're going, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is he. And they're screaming this over and over and over. So you've got the front half of the crowd saying, Hosanna. And then the second half does this. And then it's going back and forth. It's this antiphonal kind of chorus going back and forth nonstop. And all it's doing is gaining momentum, gaining excitement. And these people are just, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king. Blessed is him. <laughs> Hosanna. And Hosanna means save us. King, would you save us? And this is coming from Psalm 118. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's him. He's coming in the name of the Lord. And here's the thing. They knew the rest of Psalm 118. It goes on to say, the Lord is God. And He has made His light to shine upon us. And then here's the next thing. It's a picture of Christ, which I'm not sure the crowd got yet. It says, bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horn of the altar. Talking about the sacrifice that is going to happen. So they're singing this song and Jesus is going, that's me. That's me that you're singing about. Do you get it? I'm the sacrifice that's going to be bound up, that I'm going to be tortured for your sake. You're singing these songs of praise, and you have no clue who the king is. And I think that's us. We sing these songs of praise and worship to God, and sometimes we even have battles of how we should sing to God, what instrumentation, or what's my favorite song. Or should we have a full band or acoustic band or this or that? And we get caught up in this stuff. And Jesus is saying, do you realize every song, every psalm, this book is about me? About my sacrifice for you? And that should just propel you into this Eastern kind of worship where the people were just singing songs at the top of their lungs. That's what worship is about. And Jesus is going, I'm not sure that you get it. Singing, Lord, save us. Hosanna, save us. God, save me. Can we say that this morning? Is that, is that really our cry this morning? Because we should find ourselves in the midst of this story. Are we just these people who are getting caught up in the mission and vision of Missio Dei Church? Or getting caught up in your brand of Christianity? But are we getting caught up into this Jesus, this Messiah, who is coming in and saying, Listen, I'm offering you a peace that passes all understanding. I'm offering you a peace with God. And because of His justice, He has every right to squish you. But I am coming in as your peace. I'm taking the wrath of God 
so that you can have peace with God. Because apart from Him, you are hopeless. Quit singing your songs. Quit getting caught up in this junk. Worship me with your whole life. That's what this is about. And Jesus is saying, listen, I need to be the object of your worship. It's about me. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God, save us. The work of Christ. Saving us. Changing us. Bringing healing to those dark places that we have never allowed another person to enter. Because I love, again, Psalm says, um, the Lord is God. He has made His light shine upon us. And I am willing to bet that that light shines into the darkest places of your life and my life. To those places where we would much rather have a closet door locked and bolted shut. Jesus shines light even into your darkest place. And if you're a Christian and say you have no dark place, you're nothing but a liar. Because we all have those places. And the more that we embrace Christ, the more we realize our brokenness and our need for this Savior to to ring out with these, these people. Hosanna. God, save me again. Sunday, June 14, 2009. God, would you save me again? Not saying that you've lost your salvation. But God, would you continue to save me? Would you continue to heal me? Bind up my brokenness. Make me whole again. And so, Jesus enters into, is coming up to the city. And Mark just kind of goes, moves right, right quickly to Jesus entering into Jerusalem. But if you, if you turn to Luke chapter 19, turning to your right, there's this picture of what really happens as Jesus is, is coming. Verse 41. And this, this is critical because I think this is what Jesus is, is feeling for humanity as a whole. And for us as individuals. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Could you imagine? The crowds are going back and forth. They're all excited. You know, back and forth. The noise is getting louder. One person starts and all of a sudden, everybody is gathering and singing back and forth. And it's gathering momentum and more people and more people. And all of a sudden, this king that you are heralding is bawling, bawling over the city. And a strange, eerie silence comes over. And he says this, Would that you, even, would that you, even you had known that on this day, the things that make for peace. He's saying, if you would only know me, the thing that, that makes for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. 
And they will not leave one stone upon another in you. Because, look at this, because you did not know the time of your visitation. She said, you didn't get it. I was here. I visited you. And you were even singing my songs. And you missed it. You missed your time of visitation. Often I think that in the church, in our Christian circles, our small groups, our our little ministries, that we do some good activities. We might even sing songs. We might accomplish even some good in our communities, our neighborhoods. But you know what? We miss the Jesus who is in the midst and says, I want to offer you peace. I want to give you a peace that is going to turn your world upside down and inside out. That's the peace I want to give to you. That's the hope that I want to give to you. And that is a brand new kind of king. So Jesus saw the destruction of Jerusalem coming. He saw the Roman Empire coming some years later where they totally devastated Jerusalem. Totally devastated it. And he's saying, listen, there's going to come a time where you're going to remember my words. Not a single stone is going to stand on another. Because you missed me. You missed me. My visitation. And Jesus wept. His sorrow indicated his humanity. But it was also a revelation of his heart. If we could just kind of fix our, our thoughts on that, and wrap our mind. This is how Jesus Christ and God the Father and the Holy Spirit sorrows over hearts that miss their day, that miss this visitation. The day that would bring peace. Where His people would have repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. So here's my question. As your life stands right now, in this moment, not next to your wife, your girlfriend, your best friend, as your life stands right now, how does Jesus see your future? Is it one of judgment, of deep sorrow, of desolation? Is it one of hope? Are you are you really waiting for the king to come in and offer you peace? To offer you hope? Because I think that the tears of Christ just show the infinite value of your soul. So this morning I want you to consider what is it what is your your needed response we're going to be celebrating communion in just a minute and for those of you who 
have given your life to Jesus Christ, who believe in your heart that He is Lord, and confess that with your mouth, man, you're not done. The work of sanctification is an ongoing work where we continually need to repent because I'm sure that Christ is is grieving over some of our hearts yet this morning. So what is our response before we go and remember the work? What is the work of repentance that you need to participate in? How have you grieved Jesus' heart this week, this morning? And if you say you haven't, I pray that God changes your cold heart. So we're going to share communion together. Remembering that the king, as he was sitting with his, his disciples on that last night, sat down with them and said, listen, as he took the bread, said, this is my body that has been broken for you so that you can have peace. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after after supper, he took the cup of blessing and and he poured it out and said, this is not just a, a cup. But this is a cup reminding you of the blood that I'm going to shed for your life. And it is a cup of blessing because you know what? Without it, you still have no hope. Blood needs to be shed as on the Passover day for you. So do this in remembrance of me. Those who are serving, come on up.